This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. We're happy to have you. It is part two, part two, uh, of our World Cup group stage preview. I am here with Omar Mubayed. How you doing, Omar? I'm doing good, man. Good to see you again. Two days in a row. I like it. Long time no see. We have a we have a home and away uh, set up uh, yesterday at Omar's place, today at my place. Um, today we're taking you through groups E, F, G, and H. The of- Procrastinator's Guide to the World Cup. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So we're taking you through those last four groups as the World Cup kicks off tomorrow. Um, giving you a preview, looking at what may be coming down the pike uh, in this year World Cup. Uh, we're about five hours after the 2026 World Cup was announced for the United uh, bid. We'll be talking more about that next week. You'll be able to read more about it on magiccity.soccer, so go there for now. And again, if you want to hear us uh, blabber on about that, you'll be able to in a couple of days' time. But for today, let's focus on Russia. Omar, we're starting off with Group E. What do we have in Group E? Group E, right? This is a this is an interesting group because I think there's some upsets that, that you know can come into play. Group E is comprised of Brazil from South America, Switzerland and Serbia from Europe, and Costa Rica representing CONCACAF. So you have a situation here where Brazil, I mean, arguably the odds-on favorite, right? If you're looking at the betting lines on Bovada, uh, Brazil is probably the heaviest favorite of the bunch. Or actually, they're tied with France, which we talked about yesterday at length, to win this group. And it's kind of surprising because even Germany isn't favored as heavy to win their group as Brazil is favored to win this group. Yeah, this group, I, I find this group interesting because I think you have... Three teams below Brazil who are capable of producing results. I don't, I don't, you don't have any walkovers, I don't think. Uh, whereas if you look at, say, uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, n- not at the level of these three teams, in my opinion. But I, I think Brazil has the firepower to go all the way. And I think that, that they have the talent that they've been able to assemble this year compared to 2014 – uh, I think people are looking at them and generally making them maybe the favorite of the whole thing. Um, and so you look at these three teams, Switzerland, Costa Rica, Serbia, Switzerland, are they pretty solid for, for again, not being the top pedigree of European uh, football? Yeah, they are. Absolutely. Um, you know, Costa Rica, can they grind out a result? Lord knows they can because we've seen it. Uh, you know, and Serbia, again, ha- has some, some, some good team attributes you'd like to see. In this tournament, but uh, yeah, I just think Brazil is a bit too much. Yeah, Brazil is going to be way too much. I mean, if you look at any kind of preview article, if you look at any kind of stats on it uh, for this group, Brazil is by far and away, you know, they're going to be a front runner for the tournament. There's a reason why they're the tournament favorite or the betting line favorite to win the tournament outright, right? So if you look at 538, you'll notice that their goals per game are projecting to be over three, at least in the group stage. And they're only going to concede less than half a goal a game, which is outstanding for any club. They're up there with the likes of Spain and Germany, which are the only teams that are ranked ahead them uh, in terms of having a stronger offense. But they're coming into this tournament, tournament. They're coming into this tournament projecting to have the best defense of any club or any country in this World Cup. Which to me is, you know, you you associate Brazil with that offensive firepower. You associate Brazil, you know, you, you don't think about the defensive aspect of their game, but. Whenever you've had those great Brazilian teams come into World Cups, they've always had those stout defenders at the back. And so the, the, you're, you're looking at the combination that this team can put together. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting not only in the group stage, obviously, but um, moving forward in, into the knockout stage. If Brazil do not advance out of this group... Uh, cancel the tournament. Oh, no, for sure. Because something I'm, has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they don't have David Luiz behind them, the Chelsea man now, the former PSG guy, because he's still 
you know, recovering from injury. Uh, but at the same time, that back line still has Thiago Silva. It still has Marcelo. It still has Felipe Luis. You know, I think their biggest question may be who plays left back. Is it going to be Marquinhos? Is it going to be Danilo? That, that's really the question they have to answer. And that's the only question they have to answer is who's their left back? That's it. Yeah. That, that's it. Because everywhere else, they're stout. They're steady. There are no questions here. You know, Allison isn't necessarily the best goalkeeper in the world. But he should do enough with that back line to not allow you know, more than a goal a game, realistically, if that. And I'll be quite honest, and and it's always unfortunate when a guy gets injured. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for this Brazil team to be without David Luiz, just to keep away the ghosts of 2014. Because when you think about that player, the first thing that comes to mind is the immediate aftermath of 7-1. True. Uh, and, a- again, you-, you never want a guy to miss out on a World Cup because of injury. They come so infrequently, and it's such a privilege to participate but I think for the psyche of the Brazilian side, I don't, I don't think that's the worst possible outcome. Uh, now, the, the second point you mentioned, um, Alisson. Uh, I think that this could be, you know, it's hard to say you're going to have an Ali, uh, a coming out party for a guy who's, you know, within the sights of, of the top clubs in the world and has played in the big stage, Champions League semifinal. But I think this could be a coming out party for him. I, I very much believe in his ability as a keeper. Uh, and irrespective of Liverpool being connected to him as a possibility. Cause actually, I knew that's where this no, was going. because I actually don't think he's going to be coming to Liverpool. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't think he's going. Um, but I've always been high on him. I, I think he's a very uh, good... Uh, young, you know, he's 25. He's get, kind of getting up into where he would be closer to his prime. Uh, I, I think he could be the difference for Brazil. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and he's staving off good competition to earn that starting role with Ederson right behind him. Yes. A guy who has incredible raw potential but hasn't necessarily put it all together yet. It's just funny because every time we come into this tournament, we always look at Brazil and we always say, you know, we peg Brazil to be one of the favorites. And it's because of just the immense talent that's on that team. There are no holes anywhere on that team. The biggest question for Brazil, which is probably the same question they've had for the last 20 years, is going to be, can this squad gel together? Well, they have the chemistry within each other to be selfless and to make that extra pass to create more chances on net. And the truth is, I, 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 this team is full of selfless players. Between Willian, between Douglas Costa, Neymar, who at PSG has shown that he's not, he's willing to take a secondary role, not necessarily be the premier striker, have the spotlight on him the whole time. Gabriel De Jesus from Manchester City. You got Firmino. You know all about Bobby Firmino. Yes, you know workhorse. So. It, there is no. I, I, I'm looking at this quad, and I don't see, like I, I don't see the weakness other than the left back. And I think you said that idea of team chemistry uh, is so important for this Brazil squad. When you look at that last World Cup, I mean, if you hate to say poisoned, but man, just everything around. I was actually having a conversation. One of my uh, coworkers is Brazilian. He was in Brazil for the World Cup in 2014. And he was just saying that, yeah, everyone hated it. Everyone hated that it was in Brazil. Everyone hated the team as it was constructed. Everyone hated the management. The uh, Apparently they call them the big hats in Brazil that kind of make decisions about who plays and who doesn't. Everyone was just in a crappy mood. Everyone didn't want it. They just didn't want what they got. And I get the sense that with this team, you know, usually being a host is a benefit. As we've seen with Brazil, the team that has won the most World Cups in the tournament's history, uh, the team has hosted twice. They've lost both times. Uh, Hosting is not a benefit for them, apparently. And I think getting far, far away from home actually might be beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to keep in mind one important thing with Brazil. Brazil finished top of Conmebol qualification. However, their start to the Conmebol campaign for the World Cup wasn't pretty. They let go of their head coach early on in qualification. They've changed everything around and they've been able to miraculously, well, I mean, it's not really miraculous, but they completed the turnover of that squad, right? With, With being under Tite now, They've been able to get the best out of every player, which is something that was not happening with the previous manager. And to qualify number one out of Comembol, normally you look at Brazil and say, okay, well, it's normally going to be between Brazil and Argentina or Brazil and Uruguay. And, and, and you know, Colombia is usually that fourth squad. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, to, to finish qualifying with those kinds of countries that you're competing against with a plus 30 goal differential, right? Amassing 12 wins over 18 matches 
I, I think this is the real deal. And they, they romped. They should be in the finals. They romped. Uh, Uruguay was as far away from Brazil in qualifying as the team that finished seventh. Right. Uh, you know, it, 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 the, dis- the, dis- the distance between first and second was the same distance between second and seventh. It wasn't close. And, and again, Brazil comes in with that strength. Um, Moving but, on into yes, now the North American <laughs> contingent. Because I think this is something that's very interesting for this group. I have this group shaping up to be a little different. I've got an outsider coming in second. I've actually have Costa Rica finishing second. And maybe I'm looking at this from the perspective of I think that defense can shut down just about everybody with the exception of Brazil. Now, I think Brazil is going to run rampant on Costa Rica. I, I think they're going to win that game 2-1. to one. Uh, I, I don't have any doubts that you know Brazil may not lose a game within this group stage. But I think Costa Rica will have... The ability to frustrate Serbia and to frustrate Switzerland. And, you know, with Kaylor Navas at the back, and we've seen the quality of saves that he can make while he's been uh, at Real Madrid, you know, it, it really makes you wonder if Kaylor Navas steals a game or two for Costa Rica, they can sneak in as a second seed, and that's kind of where I have them going. You know, I've, I've heard discussion recently uh, about Kaylor Navas, and, and, and some people consider him to be, just be average. Uh, and I don't understand that at all. I, whenever I watch him play, he makes the big saves. Whenever, I mean, you can't win three Champions Leagues in a row unless, you know, as a club, unless you have a solid keeper at the back. That's usually the difference maker. And he is just capable of making some tremendous stops. As you said, with this, with, with the Ticos, I think the big, big difference is going to be on defense. If that defense is able to lock it down, there's no reason why they couldn't get out of the group. Um, I think that that Navas is the difference. Navas is the difference. I think second best goalkeeper in the group. I think. Uh, I mean, no, no, he, he's the best goalkeeper in the group. He's better than Allison. Let's not let, let, look. The man's won three Champions League finals true. in a row, right? That's true. Like Allison yes. hasn't done that. Yes. And granted, honestly, when you're comparing defenses between Real Madrid and you're comparing defenses with with Roma, you know. It, I, Yes, Roma it may be a step down, but they're not far removed sure. when you're talking about the defensive course. Sure, the superstar names aren't there. I'll give you that. There is no Sergio Ramos. There is not the guys that you've seen forever on Real Madrid's back line. There is no Marcelo. Right. However, at the same time, he's been making the incredible saves because Real Madrid's defense was not the key to their success this season. Correct. So, you know, you're, the biggest knock against Costa Rica, in my opinion, is going to be that their forwards are aging. Right, Marco Zarenio over thirty, Joe Campbell over thirty. You're gonna have a situation where they're playing three matches in ten games, and I'm sorry, not Joe Campbell over thirty. I do apologize. It was it is Marco Zarenia and it is Juan Venegas. Joe Campbell is only 25 years old. However, it, it really makes you wonder with an aging squad, how can they adapt? And this is the same thing that we were talking about in our previous show with one of the other, uh, you know, competitors in the cup is that. How do you do it? Because there's a mixed range of talent in Costa Rica. You're not looking at a, at a country that has all its players playing in Europe. You have a lot of guys in MLS. You have a lot of guys in South America. And you have another strong contingent in Europe. But the European clubs that are being represented aren't necessarily you know, the upper echelon of those European clubs. You're looking at teams like Real Betis. You're looking at teams like Deportivo Coruña. You're looking at teams like Espanol. Not teams that you know you associate with greatness right yes so uh, it, you do have to wonder at, at what point does the uh, does that lack of top 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 club experience does that weigh on costa rica does that affect their ability to compete um especially when you're going against two clubs who are <laughs> european or, or switzerland uh and serbia and and yeah, how how will they be able to stack up against those European sides? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for me, you know, the one team that we haven't <coughs> talked about, I don't think Serbia is going to be much of a factor in this group. I think they have notable players. However, I, I don't think they're going to be able to uh, put it together. Um, I think Switzerland and Costa Rica are going to be battling head-to-head for that second spot. And I think a lot of it is going to come down to which Switzerland team shows up, right? Because we've seen guys in the Premier League like Granit Xhaka and, and Zerdan Shakiri. But when you talk about those two guys, you're talking about, you know, a loose cannon that doesn't necessarily, you know, they've never seen a a shot on goal that they haven't liked, even (laughs) if it's 35 or 40 yards out. So how is that going to gel with the rest of their club? And how are they going to be able to 
provide service for their forward group. And, and, and that's really the big question because, you know, at times, Shakiri looks like the best player in the world. He looks like a world beater. He looks like somebody that, you know, Stoke City should be using to continually be in the Premier League. And yet there's times where you look at him getting a red card and you're like, what are you doing? Yep. Yeah, it's um, he. He's an enigma, and I think the the team will go as far as he will take them. Uh, ultimately, I, I think that if he goes above and beyond and produces magic, I think that Switzerland can advance like easily, easily. Um, I think Switzerland, out of the three other teams, I think Switzerland has the highest ceiling. Um, Switzerland, it very well favored in the FIFA rankings, I believe. I think they're top ten. Uh, weirdly, if you can double check that, because I could be talking out of my behind, but I, I seem to remember seeing that very recently that they were in, in, in towards or in the top ten. Um, so whatever weird math is used to calculate that, yeah, they're currently sixth Six. in the FIFA wow. uh, rankings. I mean, so that would be a huge disappointment if they don't qualify because Costa Rica's sitting at twenty third. Yes, and Serbia, you know, as you're going down this list. Serbia's ranked down to 34, so they're not even in the top 30. That'd be a huge blow for Switzerland if they don't find a way to make it out of this group. And when you look at Switzerland, you know, Switzerland and Serbia, according to 538, if you look at their projections, and, you know, a lot of their projections are always usually spot on, so we like to use them here at Magic City Soccer. You know, they're looking to project more than two goals a game. The Swiss team looking to average closer to two and a half, you know, while both teams conceding there in roughly, you know, six-tenths of a goal per game. And obviously, yes, you cannot concede six-tenths of a goal per game, but you're essentially looking at, you know, two goals over three games, things of that nature. And Costa Rica, you know, they're not projecting to be world beaters. They're not projecting to put in a lot of offense. And they do have one of the weakest defenses, according to this projection model, in the World Cup. But the problem is it's not factoring in Kaylor Navas, in my opinion. Because the thing is, what he does, you cannot put on paper. He's got the quote-unquote intangibles. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I concur. I concur. Um, I, I think that looking at this group, obviously, we have... Let's see if we can... Sorry about that one second. Uh, obviously, looking at this group, uh, we have Brazil to advance. Switzerland, Serbia, Costa Rica... Who are you looking to advance out of that? That group I, Brazil's going to win it. Uh, Brazil's going to win the group. I, I think they may easily go nine. You know, go three and zero with nine points. Yeah, and I think I've got Costa Rica sliding by Switzerland just a bit. I think it'll come down to goal differential, uh, but I think I see Costa Rica sliding by uh, Switzerland just a little bit. I will. We haven't had much uh, disagreement in our selections thus far, and so I will throw something in here. I will take Switzerland. Okay, there you uh, go. <laughs> I, I think that I think that Shakiri is looking to impress. Um, I think he he wants uh, a lifeline out of Stoke, and I think he can have it. And I think he wants to drive his price up, and I think the club wants him to drive his price up. Sure, it's a win win for everyone involved. Absolutely. Uh, I th- I think he's going to produce and get Switzerland out of that group. Sounds like a plan. So moving on to Group F. All right, Group F is comprised of Germany, another of the overwhelming favorites in the tournament if not the favorite the second highest rated favorite uh for the 2018 world cup you've got sweden from europe as well now you have mexico representing Concacaf, and you have south korea one of the asian contingent in this tournament uh this group realistically should be easy however when you look at some of the projection models it it makes it seem a little scarier than what might actually happen yeah, it, it really does look like it's going to be a, a three-team race at the back. Uh, again, Germany is going to advance out of this group if they don't, you know, cancel everything. Germany doesn't get eliminated in the group stages, especially when you're bringing that kind of quality of team uh, that won the tournament uh, last time around. Uh, but we look at Sweden, Mexico, and North Korea. Again, going by the, the 538. South Korea, not North South Korea. Korea. Boy, yeah, I'm sorry. Distracted <laughs> by the news this week. Uh, Sweden, Mexico, South Korea, uh, the likelihood of advancing that you're seeing the difference between Sweden and Mexico is one-tenth of a percentage point. Um, so it is it is tight, tight, tight. Um, South Korea is still a, 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 a tiny tick below those two, but um, again, it's, it's going to be an interesting race, and it's going to be, to me, who can get a point off Germany. If you can manage, if Mexico can manage a draw against Germany, they're going to get through. Uh, same thing for South Korea or, or Sweden. If you can manage to grab that point off Germany, that's going to make the big difference. Yeah, absolutely. What's funny about this group is that, 
you know, it's being considered a group of death per se because the truth of the matter here is Germany and Sweden and Mexico, if either of those three teams won the group, it, it wouldn't necessarily surprise anybody as long as Germany came in second. Right. Right. You would see maybe a German team had a hiccup against one of the against one of the other clubs. They may have not fired and all cylinders. Manuel Neuer coming off a long layoff may have made a mistake. And all of a sudden you see a window open for any of these clubs. Um, however... When you look at the betting lines for every of these individual games for this group, you never see anything more than a goal. You never see anything more than a goal until the last match of this group where Germany will take on South Korea. And I think that shows how strong Germany is and and kind of necessarily the weakness that the Asian Confederation has coming into this tournament. Where, realistically speaking, it, it is very possible for none of the Asian teams to qualify into the round of 16. That said, though, again... You know, it's going to be a fight for second place between Sweden and Mexico. Now, I don't think South Korea uh, will factor into this tournament at all, to be honest. And it's not necessarily a knock against South Korea. But at the same time, you know, they're coming in with an older club. They're coming in with a team that is averaging close to 28 years uh, of age. And again, you're playing three matches in 10 days. Germany is your overwhelming favorite to win this group at minus 300 on the betting lines with Mexico coming in at plus 550 and Sweden 800. So clearly everybody's indicating basically the same thing. It's Germany and then it's going to be a fight for second. And Mexico and Sweden aren't necessarily that far apart from each other. The difference is that they've played against different competition. And here's the kicker. Grant Wall from SI has written a book and part of the book was... uh, was working with Juan Carlos Osorio, the Mexican manager, right? In that book, they spent hours of their day just talking about tactics and deployments. Juan Carlos Osorio could easily show you eight different deployments in the first uh, three matches of the World Cup. The man, he's a madman, he's a, he's a technician, <laughs> right? And he will do whatever he can to disguise Chicharito in order to give him the ball where the defense is least expecting it to be. The question for Sweden is, how do you fill the void of Zlatan? And is not having Zlatan for the first time in 15 years a good thing for that club or for that country? Yeah, I think that that's. I think that will tell Sweden's story. Are they able to find goals without Zlatan? And, and, and as you said, maybe they'll find more because they're not working through one player. They're, they're opening it up. A little bit more and expanding their horizons in terms of their offensive possibilities. Um, so, looking at the, the matchup, Sweden Mexico. So yeah, I think we're both we're both basically whittling South Korea out of this discussion. Is right. it possible that they? Yes, it is entirely. But it is. It would not be a tremendous upset. It would not be the upset of the century if South Korea were to somehow get through. But I, I think we're both leaning here towards either Sweden or Mexico. The difference is going to be, is Mexico able to get the ball up to Chicharito and the rest of the attack effectively, or is Sweden going to be able to bog it down? I think if Sweden even gets a draw out of that Mexico match, I think it it, it, it could see them through, um, potentially. Mexico's got to win, but I also think Mexico can win. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. For Sweden, they need leadership. And the leadership has to come from a voice in that locker room that's been there for quite some time. Emil Forsberg, who plays his club football over at Red Bull Leipzig, he's been kind of a revelation for that club. And he's been voted the midfielder of the year in Sweden for three different times throughout his career already. So it really makes you wonder, is this going to be the man that, very similar to Gylfi Sigurdsson, is unlocking the answers for Sweden on the field or on the pitch? And, and that's going to be the key is can Emil Forsberg uh, provide service to his forwards and also link the play from the back to the front? And as you mentioned, this whole tournament, uh, this whole group may just very well come down to the match between uh, Sweden and Mexico. And the reason we say that is because, you know, we're expecting them to get results out of South Korea. You know, and obviously we're expecting Germany to do the same. But the crazy part about this situation is that the Mexico-Sweden game will happen on the last match date for this group. And currently, you have Mexico as a favorite. But at the same time, while, they're, while they are the odds makers' favorite, the public is overwhelmingly backing Sweden at plus half a goal. So essentially, the public here thinks this game could easily draw over 90 minutes. Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, you mentioned Forsberg. I feel like Forsberg may have the 
the possibility to be a player like, and I'm not talking about the impact on the overall tournament, but I think back to 2014 in Colombia when Radamel Falcao was out with injury and everyone was saying, woe is me, woe is me. And all of a sudden, James Rodriguez, who, who was a talented player, basically had his coming out party and just exploded. And I think that the possibility here is for Forsberg, okay, you, you've gotten these plaudits back at home, you've gotten this recognition, but this is your opportunity on the global stage for everyone to see what you can do. And I, I think Korea is going to play spoiler. I think the opening match of this group, um, other than obviously Germany playing Mexico in the first match of the group, but the second match of the group is Sweden and South Korea. And I would not be surprised in one bit if South Korea finds a way to get a draw out of that game. And if Sweden drops any kinds of points to South Korea, that will eliminate their chances, I feel like, of qualifying for this group. Because I, so I, I don't necessarily feel like they will earn a victory against Mexico, which is then what they will need in order to get out. And I don't really give them much of a chance against Germany. So I have this group going Germany, kind of sweeping it again. And, and you know, I'm, I'm noticing a trend here with my predictions. I'm seeing a lot of teams kind of gathering nine points and getting out of the group, which is something that... Normally, we don't see happen. Yeah. But I think with some of these groups' constructions and with the level, uh, I, I should say, with the off-put level of talent, I, I, think it's, I think it's very possible. You know, So I've got Germany going ahead and uh, winning this group with nine points, and I have Mexico coming in second. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, I think Sweden uh, is going to get about as close as you can get to qualifying, but I, I do think that... I think this is a, a, a year for Mexico to really make something happen uh, at the World Cup. I think they're tired of getting to the round of 16. I think, I think that they're, they have a chance to get, get farther than we may even imagine. Now, let, let's, I know we're not talking about the knockout round, but there's one thing that we do need to talk about with regards to Mexico is that Juan Carlos Osorio, their manager, is on the hot seat. There's no doubting he's been on the hot seat for what it feels like has been six years. Every every manager who, who manages Mexico is on the it's hot, on seat, on the hot the, seat. That's what you get when you get the job is right. a hot seat. Exactly. Yes. So here's the situation. If you're in Mexico and you come in second of this group, Brazil's your round of 16 opponent. At, at that point, what can you honestly expect out of that group? Because... If you're going to ask me, would you favor Mexico or would you even bet on Mexico in a match versus Brazil, I would tell you straight with a straight face, absolutely not. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it, it's it's hard sledding. Um, Is it a fair situation, though, for Mexico or El Tri to then decide to let go of Osorio if he does end up losing to Brazil, even if it's a close contest? I mean, look, I, I don't think fair factors into any federation's decision That's about <laughs> hiring or firing their managers. I mean, Lord, we just saw it today with Spain. Um Letting go of their manager after he agreed to take over Real Madrid after the World Cup. Uh, um, and you can disagree agree or disagree with the Federation on that one. I understand both sides. But, yeah, I mean, we've seen managers get bounced for much less. I, 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 if I were in charge and I had my manager get me there and put up a real good fight against Brazil that may wind up winning the whole damn tournament, uh, yeah, I'd want to keep him. But, you know, these, these managers... It seems that they have a they they have a clock on them, and that no, I mean unless you're Germany, uh, your manager typically doesn't hang around that long. That's fair. Can I take a stand here and say that I disagree wholeheartedly with Fox and the whole Fox Broadcasting Group about supporting Mexico if oh, you live in the God. United States? Yeah, because I mean I'm going to be honest. Listen, the United bid is fun and all, and, and and we're really happy that we're getting the World Cup, and we'll talk about that on the next episode. I'm currently wearing a USA national team kit. There is no way in holy hell that I'm going to be supporting anything Mexico does. If I put my feelings aside, I think Mexico finishes second. I want Mexico to not earn a point in this tournament. <laughs> I want them to lose every game by four goals. I'm going to be honest. They are the arch rival. You cannot sit there, Alexi Lalas. You cannot sit there, anybody else at Fox. I don't even. I don't think Rob Stone is saying anything of that front. But if they are, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. There's no. You can't build a rivalry for the last 50 years and all of a sudden, you know, put us on a in a situation where like, hey, um, you know, we should root for them because they're in Concacaf. No, absolutely not. This isn't the SEC. Like we, this is not happening, right? If, if all of a sudden Florida State makes the national championship game and we're Hurricane fans, we're not all of a sudden going to be like, all right, well, we're going for the ACC. If we, no, yeah. absolutely not. No. no. And if you know what, it so happens to be that they're playing Alabama. I'm not watching the game. I'm turning it off, right? Yeah. I, I don't want either team to win. If it can end in a draw, fantastic, right? Yeah. But no, absolutely not. You're rooting for Meteor. Yeah, well, basically. <laughs> Let's move on to Group G. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I do want to say, though, before we move on to Group G, 
Uh, I think that the the decision made by Fox to pursue that that avenue of of support is penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. Because I think they have turned off a great number of United States supporters with it. They're tr- clearly in this World Cup. There's no U.S. men's national team. There is a Mexican national team, and and some could argue that the Mexican national team is the most fervently. Am I adding that modifier there? the most fervently supported national team in the United States. Because among the population that supports Mexico, they really support Mexico. Whereas you have a number of casual fans supporting the U.S. men's national team. But your goal, if you have that that right to that World Cup, is to build viewership support among American viewers. And that includes Mexican-American viewers, that includes everyone else, America, everybody in the United States. But... Whoever is supporting the Mexican national team now, they're all already in. They're they're in. They have Mexican heritage. They have a connection to the team. They're in. The growth is among U.S. supporters. And Fox is potentially burning that bridge and salting the earth until the end of their contract. It doesn't make any sense. It makes makes all the sense in the world for this tournament and no sense in the world going forward. They have the rights to the Mexican matches, uh, the friendlies and whatnot. Um, and and they're pumping that, and it just it's really confusing. I, I don't understand as a strategy. But if you look at Fox's history over the last few years, there's a lot that you can't understand. So I mean, I guess that's all there is to it. No, absolutely. And before we move on to Group G, let's kick it <laughs> over to Groundhopper. Drew, take it away. Hey, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, us at Magic City Soccer want to welcome our newest podcast sponsor. Groundhopper. Whether you're a passionate soccer supporter or just enjoy watching the game, check out the Groundhopper app, the handiest tool for soccer fans. Check in at the game and earn badges for all kinds of achievements. Compete with your friends and see who's the biggest fan of your team. Find all the fixtures taking place where you are, whether it's Madrid or Miami. This way you can turn any trip into a soccer trip. Groundhopper is available now on Google Play and the Apple iTunes Store. Now, back to the podcast. Alrighty, thank you, Drew, and thank you, Groundhopper, as always, for your support. Um, let's move right ahead. Uh, moving on to Group G. In Group G, you have uh, the Red Devils of Belgium. You have the Three Lions of England. You have Tunisia, and you have Panama. And uh, Omar, you know, in looking at this group, uh, it's not that hard, I don't think, to figure out who's going to make it out. No, it's not going to be hard to make it out, but this may be the second most closely contested group with regards to who will come in first, I think. Because I think, honestly, as much as the early indicators may want to say, okay, it's Belgium, I don't think much separates this Belgium squad from this young England squad. I I disagree. Oh, okay. I, I'm high on Belgium. I, I'm Belgium is my... It's not that much of a dark horse. You know, they've... I know they've been the team of the future for the last... 12 years um but i think that this is their time i think that that um enough of those players have kind of come into age they have a solid goalkeeper um i i think they have a possibility to win this group and go pretty damn far in the tournament no i agree but i i think belgium can still be considered a dark horse because they are still the sixth most favorite team to win the tournament according to Bovada's odds at plus 1100 so again they are behind Brazil Germany Spain France and Argentina but just behind Belgium is England at plus 1600 so you're kind of sitting there as this like mid-tier upper mid-tier team where you're not necessarily the favorite going into it but you know you do have an outside shot of getting in and it just so happens that both of these clubs or I don't know why I keep calling them clubs I'm so used (laughs) to club soccer I keep saying that word prematurely but no both of these countries qualified tops of their groups in the way for qualification and i honestly feel like england had a harder time getting through than belgium in just talking about their overall group england's qualification group had slovakia scotland slovenia lithuania malta fine lithuania malta you can throw away but slovenia scotland and slovakia they're not necessarily pushovers and they do pretty well every every four years at the euro who did Belgium play? Gibraltar? Please. They put a starting 11 out mixed with firefighters and cops. <laughs> Cyprus? Pretty much does about the same. Estonia? Small Baltic country. You know, what's the best they've ever produced? Probably a Euro qualification berth, if that. And you have Bosnia and Herzegovina, who are usually non-factors, and Greece. So, I look at Belgium, and Belgium didn't have to get tested on their way to the tournament, uh, and England did. Um, I think that... 
I just have the hang-up on England that I think every person who is from England has on England. And that is, I don't believe they're going to do anything of consequence until they actually show me that they'll do it. Um, I know that's a really crappy way in order to try to predict something, um, because you're saying basically I won't predict it until I see it happen, and then in which case, who, who, who gives a crap about your prediction? Um, but I, I just think that I think that England side in four years is going to be something to be reckoned with. I think that they can actually they can they can do big things in 2022 if you know if the psyche of those younger players doesn't get cracked by that point. But um, but I, I just don't think it's their time. Now I think they're going to advance out of the group, but I just don't think it's their time to shine on the big big stage just yet. I mean. When you look at England's squad, you're looking at youth, right? You're looking at goalkeepers that have Jack Butlin from Stoke City, Jordan Pickford from Everton, who may be one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League that you haven't heard of. And you also have Nick Pope from Burnley. Burnley was a defensive fortress at home. Nick Pope played outstandingly well behind that defense uh, at David Fishwick's bus sales, right? Jordan Pickford, again, probably one of the most outstanding goalies uh, in the Premier League that you don't know his name yet. And Jack Butlin did a really good job despite Stoke being relegated. And it goes to show that if your team gets relegated from the Premier League and you still get a nod into the World Cup, I mean, it it says something about you individually. Uh, And at the same time, listen, England's youth, there's no Joe Hart here. He doesn't show up on the roster. Wayne Rooney is not on the roster. So you look at the defenders and you've got... Your boy, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who is arguably going to get a chance to start at fullback for England. And I, I think he I think he may have earned it. I, I think his performance the second half of the season what was really spectacular. Again, I have rose-colored glasses on. I have a Trent Alexander-Arnold jersey hanging up in my closet right now. But, I mean, the kid was spectacular, and that's something that the, the England mm-hmm. side is going to be able to hang their hat on for the next 15 years. Um, I want to go back to the goalkeepers for a second and talk about Jack Butlin because I, I had the opportunity in April um, to attend a Q&A with Ray Clements. Ray Clements is one of England's greatest goalkeepers of all time, Liverpool legend, Tottenham Hotspurs legend, uh, you know, in the Hall of Fame of both clubs, tells you about his kind of career, um, and made a number of starts for the, the national team uh, in England. And he said the goalkeeper that he that stood out to him above all others in terms of technical ability. And he wasn't talking about England. He was talking about worldwide in terms of youth and potential uh, and like the ability to play the, the position technically properly was Jack Butland. I mean, uh, that's heavy praise. Yes. I mean, it's about as good as you can get. He, he's worked with Jack a little bit uh, over there and, and was tremendously high, could not be higher on Jack Butlin. So if he's able to break through here and, and get a go, and, and, and again, if that, that technical skill can come through, um, yeah, now now you are changing the math a little bit, and you are talking about England being a stronger force. I Again, I just... I, it's hard for me to take the, the plunge on them until I can see them, I don't know, play play a big side and get the win. That I just won. I need one of those games where they're playing... One of those top five or six squads, and they win it. Uh, I mean, it would help too if they get to penalties and win it. Yeah, no. just break that, <laughs> you know, because they have. There's so many ghosts, so many, so many, you know, things hanging above this this team. Right. That they just got to break like two or three of them, man. Like get get some of them out of the way so we can move on. Pull a pull a Cubby's victory in the World Series. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. exercise all your demons. I, well, I would say this. I, there's if we can drop the Merseyside rivalry for just a second. Uh, you look at the roster for the three Lions, and it's just incredible to see how many players play in the north of England. You've got this roster is comprised almost half of it from Manchester City, Manchester United, and Liverpool. And it goes to show the talent of those three organi- club, those three clubs and those three organizations. And, of course, you know it, it really makes you wonder here because you look at the forward group. And we're going to spend a lot of time on England because that's our affinity. We're huge uh, Premier League fans. And... You look at Harry Kane, you look at Marcus Rashford, you look at Raheem Sterling, you got Vardy in there, and you got Welbeck. Maybe we look at Welbeck and say, okay, he might be the odd man out. This is the one that we don't trust out of the four guys. But I don't have any problem playing any of those four guys up top. I would have zero issues doing it. As long as guys like Jordan Henderson or Jesse Lingard or even Deli Alli can get the ball to them uh, in dangerous areas. And I think that might be the key for England in this tournament. If they can get service to... 
Harry Kane, if they can get in Jamie Vardy for 30 minutes or use Marcus Rashford's ability of speed and skill, like we saw with his incredible goal in a recent friendly, this team, on paper, although it's young, could easily be a dark horse to make the semifinals. I, I, the thing that I concern myself with, I think their biggest weakness is going to be that back line. I just that's what I worry about when you're relying on Phil Jones. Oh boy! <laughs> so again, I, I think we can both agree there. If you're relying on Phil Jones, you may have a problem. Um, you know, you look at the the players that they have on that back line. Again, what's the name that we just singled out for praise? A kid that's 19. Right. That's that's a problem. Uh, can John Stones be a big factor? Yes. He can also not. I mean, can, can Harry Maguire show up on the biggest <clears throat> stage? Because Harry Maguire had an amazing 2017-2018 Premier League season. And he's earned the spot on the World Cup roster. The question is going to be, can he play well alongside somebody like Phil Jones or John Stones? And, and the truth is, unfortunately, you're going to see England go with three center backs here. Or I shouldn't say unfortunately, but that's going to be the tactic of choice for Gareth Southgate. They're going to want to play with five at the back with two wing backs. Now, with the two wing backs, you may have Alexander Arnold on one side, you may have Danny Rose on the other. You still have the ability of getting guys in like Kyle Walker and Ashley Young. So, depending on the way their opposition wants to play them, I think there's flexibility up and down this roster. I agree. I, I, I think that is a strength of this England side is that, it, and, you know, to, to cross metaphors, sports metaphors for a minute, but I think it communicates the same message. I come to the thought, and, and, and this is a bit of a criticism now, uh, you know, that saying in American football that if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. True. If you are looking at this side and you're like, you could put anyone in, that may also be a bit of an indictment where it, there's a lot of good and not a lot of great. Okay. I worry about the great. Again, does that affect in any way their ability to get out of this group? No. And and they they should and they could win the group. They could win the group easily. Um but I, I do wonder if that will be kind of the ceiling on their the the ability of them to advance any further in the tournament is that they've got a lot of good and not a lot of great. I think we could do a whole podcast on England's national team's chances of winning just because of our, our in-depth knowledge on the nation, on the Premier League and all the teams that we follow. Because what's funny about the English national team is that there's not one player that doesn't play in the Premier League. They all are yes. located domestically. Yep. And it's something that, that you don't necessarily see around the world. But that's what happens when domestically you have one of the strongest leagues in the world, realistically yes. speaking, because you don't even see that from the Spain from the Spanish roster. No, the Spanish roster will have some guys veering into other countries. So for England to do that really shows um, the level of soccer that is being played in the Premier League. But what's funny too is if you look at the Belgian roster and look up and down the players. They've got a hell of a lot of Premier League players yes, too. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. You know, you look at this, the 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 two top goalkeepers, uh, David Okocha and Simon Mignolet. Uh, they're both Premier League players. You look at the back line. You're seeing Tottenham. You're seeing Manchester City. Another Tottenham player. Uh, you know, you head into the midfield. Uh, Manchester United, Tottenham, Fellaini, Chelsea. Right? You know, it, it's really thick. With I think the Premier League is the, the most well represented uh, domestic league uh, or national league on the Belgian roster. Well, the stars are located in the Premier League for Belgium. Let's yes. not make two cents about it, right? Like, yeah. So you got Thomas Moyner playing for PSG, but even then, you know, he's not getting the play time that you would indicate from somebody who would be earning World Cup minutes. I think I could say the same thing. For um, um, sorry, I'm losing the name of it right now. Oh, not a good look. But Vermeulen, Thomas Vermeulen, also playing his club football at Barcelona. You know, at the same time, that's not a name that that's going to start. Not in my opinion, at least on that back line. You're going to see Vincent Company. You're going to get some minutes. You're going to see Alderweireld get some minutes. You're going to see guys like Young Vertonghen playing on the fullback. So all of a sudden, we start looking in the midfield, and realistically speaking, you know. Belgium's starting midfield may very well be Marwan Fellaini, Eden Hazard, and Nazar Jadli. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and you add in Kevin De Bruyne, and all of a sudden you've got a 4-4-2 with two strikers up top and Romelu Lukaku and even Christian, uh, uh, Christian Benteke or Michi Batshuayi who plays for Chelsea. You've got a 4-4-2 that is completely comprised of guys who play in the Premier League. Yeah, I think you, you look at that Belgian side... And, again, this is the reason why I think I look at Belgium as a 
real contender, and I don't look at England as a full-on legitimate contender. You you look at the players, again, focus only on the Premier League players. Sure. Uh, on that back line, uh, would you rather have Vermeulen or uh, among the uh, you know, selections that are available for England? Would you rather have Otterwild or would you rather have the players available for England? You look at the front, uh, you look at the attack, would you rather have Bacchiai or... No, they, on the for, on on the forwards, England ha, I think maybe has slight advantage. De Bruyne, pro, better in midfield than probably anyone ha, anyone England has. Correct. Um, Eden Hazard, probably the same thing. Um, I think that Belgium, Belgium has a side that is basically England, but has those great players. Um, where it's kind of the same idea, where you have a lot of guys who are, have been seasoned and hardened in the Premier League. But then you have these two or three difference makers that could really stand out and, and make a difference in the tournament beyond the group stages. Well, here's the thing with uh, Belgium. I, I think the pace of the defense is what's going to get tested by England here in that match. I Don't get me wrong. I, I want to be as clear as possible. that I think Belgium's going to beat England by a scoreline of 2-1. to one. I don't think England's going to win the group. However, I can make an argument for it because England's pace in this group will be the difference between coming in third and coming in second, I yeah. think. And I, and there are leagues ahead of coming in third place. However, if they didn't have that speed, I could make probably a conversation for Panama or Tunisia, which I can't make now. Right. Because England's roster is insanely fast. And I think that's what's going to give Belgium some trouble, or what has the opportunity to give Belgium some trouble. Because Belgium's defense is old. They're Agreed. not the fastest guys in the Agreed. world. Yes, their attacking is great. Their attacking midfield presence is going to be great because Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne could be a superstar lethal combo. And then if you're giving service to guys like Romelu Lukaku up top or Bashuai or even Christian ben- or Christian Benteke, all of a sudden you have this mix of like guys that can finish and guys that can service, but yet. What's going to happen if they get hit on a counter? That That's the big question that Belgium yes. has to answer. They're susceptible to the counter. Their goalkeepers aren't necessarily the best goalkeepers in the world. Thibaut Courtois has made mistakes time and time again. Simon Mignolet has had his own share of problems at Liverpool. So it goes to show you that while this roster is arguably the dark horse of the tournament, which I would favor Belgium even more so than France in the World Cup, I... To be honest, I, I can see where they don't win this group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I I understand. Um, I, I do think that Courtois. I, I'm I'm more confident in Courtois now than maybe a year ago. I think he, he he's settled in pretty okay at Chelsea. And and, and and well, again, while he's capable of a mistake or two, um, I I think they have a, a good enough goalkeeper to carry them through the tournament. Um, but yeah, this this group is you know not not that we're ignoring Tunisia or or, or yeah, yeah, we Panama, are. Yeah, but we, we kind of are. <laughs> um, Panama qualifying for the World Cup uh, is a tremendous achievement for them. Uh, being able to sneak through and sneak in and and and, and get in uh, basically over the United States, um, they should be very happy with that. But yeah, they're not going to win this group in Tunisia. The same thing. Um, so we have you have. What's your order? Who do you got finishing first? I've got Belgium finishing first. I have a situation here where I think Belgium's going to run the table. Another nine-point victory uh, to win because I think it's going to be a close game with England. Now, they could very well finish with seven points and it comes down to a goal differential situation with England. I still would give them the nod in that scenario. Uh, but I have England finishing second. And, you know, the only blunder that England could have in this group would be in their matchup against Belgium. Yeah, I, I, I think it, for exactly the same reason why you just uh, identified as the reason why I favor Belgium, um, I think they're more likely to get more points, and I also think they're more likely to score more goals. Even if they, they do wind up in a tie situation, I will favor them uh, on the uh, the goal differential. Um, all right, that brings us now to our last group, yes? The final group of the tournament, and we've saved probably, arguably... The most confusing group for last. Where <laughs> if anything can happen in this tournament, it's going to happen here. Yes. Right? Group H comprised of Colombia, Poland, Senegal, and Japan. Let's put it this way. There is no odds on favor to win this group. There's nobody backing a certain team more than the rest. Colombia is at plus 130. That's your odds on favor right now. Poland is at plus 200 to win the group. Senegal at plus 400. And Japan bringing up the rear at plus 900. 
you could make a case arguably for any one of these teams because this is going to be a low scoring group these games are going to end 1-0 1-1 i don't think we're going to see a game that gets more than three goals to be quite honest with you uh i would agree with you i i would say i think that the 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 Japanese side again. While they're they're a regular at this tournament, I, I do think that um, they're a little bit older, and they've had a little bit of uncertainty uh, among management in the last few months, where they've they've basically turned over their manager heading into the tournament, which to me is never a good sign because either that manager is radically changing something, and you're changing something weeks before the tournament, or that manager is not. And the the reason that the first manager got fired is going to be the reason the second manager got fired. I don't think it's a good move. It doesn't show stability. It doesn't show confidence. Um, so I, I, if I'm if I'm inclined to eliminate any one of those four teams uh, out of potential of advancing, it's Japan over Does, Senegal. Yes, and okay. and I'll, I'll I'll get to that in a second. I I, I just think I, I think that Japan kind of is what it is. I think Japan. It, yeah, I just don't think they have the kind of growth potential that you would need to see for them to jump out of out of basically the basement into the top two. Do you not see? I guess before I cut you off here, I'll let you, and I'll let you continue your thought here in a sure. second. You don't see kind of like the European firepower making trying to make an appearance here at the World Cup because look, listen, Japan is what Japan is. However. They do have players that play throughout Europe, and arguably their best players are the ones that they've exported to different countries throughout Europe. Right. You've got Shinji Okazaki, who plays for Leicester, who will probably be uh, their main striker in this tournament. You've got uh, Shinji Kagawa, who's now at Dortmund, alongside Christian Pulisic. You have Kiseki Hana, who plays in Mexico for Pachuca. And at the same time, you also have Makoto Hesby, who plays for Eintracht Frankfurt, a team that basically almost qualified for the Champions League. This year in Germany. You know, so the questions really for this club are going to come on defense. Because on defense, you don't have that stalwart defender that you would normally have. You know, that that guy that you can rely on for 90 minutes and know that everything's going to be okay. And the truth is, pardon our ignorance, but we don't necessarily know much of the Japanese goalkeepers. They're not notable figures. They're not playing in the best leagues around the world. You've got one keeper, if I'm not mistaken, who is in League One in France. But other than that, you know, if... Japan can somehow summon strong defensive efforts and get a goal or two a game from that midfield and from that attacking group. I mean, th- there is some upside. Let's not relegate them to the bottom of the group just immediately. Uh, I, I would say, look, I, I'm rooting for uh, a little bit for Japan because if you visited our website, um, you know that there's kind of a strange Miami connection of course to the is. Japanese because there's always is. a strange <laughs> Miami connection. Uh, the newly appointed manager, uh, Akira Nishino, um, newly appointed to the men's national team, but not a new figure in Japanese management and management of the national side uh, at younger ages. He was the leader of the U23 side from 94 to 96, including Japan's run in the 96 Olympics, where he was able to upset the Brazilian team that featured many players from its 94 World Cup winning side. Um, in the Orange Bowl in Miami, and so I'm 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 rooting for that side to to do something. I'm rooting for uh, Nishino, but I I just don't I I think that there is a team that has potential beyond uh what we what by, beyond what Japan has. Can can the team I'm thinking of crash and burn? Yes, but I'm I I just don't think I think Japan is baked in. And I don't think that what they have baked in is going to be enough for them to really advance. So who's the team you're thinking of? So I'm split between Poland and Senegal, obviously. And the logical choice is Poland, the European side. They've got some key players. I think Senegal has a chance to surprise some people and get out of this group in the second position. I'm picking Senegal. Wow. I think, where do you see when you look at their matches? Where do you see Senegal earning the points? Do you see them, you know, beating Poland in the first match of the group? Do you see Senegal, you know, holding Colombia to a draw and getting a result out of that game? I mean, obviously, you have to consider then that Senegal's probably going to go ahead and you know beat Japan. I guess yes. in your estimations, if I were to enter your mind, yeah, I think Senegal beats Japan. I think Senegal draws Poland. I think Senegal draws Colombia. And I think that will be enough for them to get through. Does this come from a place where Poland is consistently underwhelming? 
Yes, I, I agree. So even again, they they have you know you you look at the lineup of players they they have you know Lomdowski obviously grabs the headlines, but they have other players that kind of jump out to you and 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 make you look and say, uh, you know, Peter Zielinski and Napoli had a really good season. Um, you know, trying to pronounce some Polish uh, names is going to be a little bit difficult, but please forgive me if you're Polish and in the audience and I absolutely butcher someone, uh, someone's name. Uh, you know, Lukas Piszczek at Borussia, um, always a solid figure, I, but I just don't, yeah, I, I don't see it gelling because it, it doesn't gel. Poland always, it doesn't, oh, nah, I don't want to say always, but generally underwhelms on this stage, and I think Senegal has the kind of aggressiveness and has the kind of offensive firepower that they could surprise some people well for me i i have poland edging out senegal and the way i have that happening is essentially the fact that poland and senegal are going to draw and i and i think colombia and senegal are going to draw but where i see the mix happening is that i don't see senegal winning a game in this group i see them coming in earning three draws you know trying to do their best and, and not lose a match and possibly earning points in the last seconds of games, you know, with the upside that that roster does have. But I think the biggest difference here is that Poland is going to be able to get a victory over Japan. I think that's what's going to carry them into that place. I, I, I think both of us strongly feel that Colombia probably wins this group. But I mean, I'm looking at the way I have this group jotted down. And to be quite honest, I have one, two, three, four. I have four draws in six matches. Right. I've got Senegal drawing all their games. I've got Colombia drawing two games. You know, I've got Poland drawing two games. And I think the difference is going to be that Colombia and Poland will get past Japan, whereas Senegal will not be able to do so. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think... I'm not here pounding my chest and saying Senegal are world beaters in Poland. No, but I'm not know. saying that either. No, of course, no, no, no. I, I, like, I'm just, I'm basically, I'm agreeing to agree here. I'm saying, yeah, Poland, Poland could, could advance out of this group, and they've got all the raw pieces to do so. I just, I, I, you know, when you think about, you know, in March Madness, you always take a flyer, right? Right. Senegal is my flyer. I did that in Costa Rica, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I did it. So yeah. I, no, I understand your logic. You know, I, I think Colombia is the odds-on favorite to win the group, despite there not being a betting line overwhelming favorite, as we had mentioned earlier. You know, they are still the favorite to win the group at plus 130. So for every $100 you bet on Colombia to win the group, you will win $130 back. Uh so And it makes an enticing bet. But I think everybody strongly feels that all of these matches are going to be close. Which makes this probably the group to watch in the tournament. Because arguably speaking, three of these four teams can end up in any of the position. And it would not be the craziest thing in the world if Colombia somehow finishes third. I don't think they will, but it won't be the craziest thing in the world either. You know, I actually think that Colombia is getting uh, a, a bit... Uh, and I'm not just saying you. I think in general. I think Colombia is getting a bit of a short shrift here. Uh I'm really intrigued to see, and again, I'm not just saying this because my wife is Colombian and I would sure. catch a beating if I said otherwise. Yeah. Um, but no, I look, we'll go Col- with that. Colombians, among all others, are more than uh, accustomed to the national team disappointing. So I'm, I, I'm not going out, I'm actually going out on a limb among, I think, most Colombians. But I, this side, having Falcao back in the side, which they did not have in 2014, even though he is older, I know, but they're, they're coming into this tournament largely healthy. James Rodriguez, year of Bayern Munich, I think did him well. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how that attack is going to gel. I think it could, I think they could over deliver. I think they could over deliver on what people are expecting. Last World Cup, they very obviously over delivered, you know, getting into the quarterfinal against Brazil and and really making a match of it before they, uh, you know, snapped uh, Neymar's back. Um, But I, I, I would not be surprised if if Colombia comes out of that group a nine pointer. Oh wow! Um, okay, I, I I I think that that they 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 could they could over deliver. I I would I feel very confident Colombia is advancing out of this group. I'm, listen, I'm confident in it as well. I think that they have players that are far superior to the squads that the other countries have, and I think that's what makes the difference at the end of the day for Colombia. However, I think Colombia also has for a group favorite. For a group, uh, I can't speak. A group favorite, they have overwhelmingly the most amount of question marks on their roster. I think David Ospina. If David Ospina is your first choice goalkeeper, I mean you're you're on shaky grounds as is there. And at the same time, when you look at their defenders, 
nobody really stands out. Christian Zapata plays for AC Milan, and he's probably the most notable defender that this club has. Granted, most of their guys play in Italy. There's one player with Tottenham, and at the same time, some of their guys do play in South America, close to home. But other than Quadrado, other than Falcao, who is 32 years old, and we have no idea what kind of shape he's going in this match, and, and really, you know, James Rodriguez, I, I, don't, I don't see... Anywhere else where I look at this Colombia team and I'm like, stability. I don't I don't see stability. Oh, yeah. I definitely don't think stability is the name of the Colombian game. I, I think it, it requires a little bit of chaos. But I will say, though, um, Ospina with Arsenal and Ospina with Colombia have been two different propositions. Ospina, <laughs> Ospina has been a, a, a very solid keeper when he has that Colombian shirt on. And additionally, I want to highlight a player... Lesser known, I think, but a player that's going to get uh, some recognition uh, over the next few years as he gets a little bit older is Jerry Mina, uh, who was signed by Barcelona. He's 23 years old. He's gotten some run with them in, in the first team the second half of the season. He was brought in in January. I think that if if he's put out there uh, by Jose Peckerman and given the chance to play, I think he will do a, 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 a solid job at the back for Colombia. I, I, that's, that's a name I'm looking at. Uh, heading in to this tournament is what can Yeri Mina bring to the table? Is the key for Colombia going to be how do they deploy their starting eleven in order to get the best chances for guys like James Rodriguez, Falcao, Carlos Baca, or is it going to be how do we contain the other teams in our group? Yeah, I think I think Colombia in the group, uh, the the name of the game has to be offense. I think it's got to be getting the ball up the field and trying to pour in goals because, as you said, the other teams in this group are not world beaters offensively. Um, the only world beating talent is, is Golandowski. That's it. True, yes. Um, although, again, personal preference, I would say Sadio Mane can be a difference maker for, <laughs> for Senegal. Um, I mean, the guy, his work rate and his speed and his, his ability to finish, especially the last couple of months, he went through kind of a, I don't want to say down phase because he still was great, but the last couple of months he really turned it on. I think that's to the benefit of, of the Senegal uh, national team. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Colombia has enough talent in the front where they can put games out of reach quicker than Poland or Senegal or Japan. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So how do you have this group going? I have Colombia first and sticking my neck out on the line, Senegal second. All right, a little bit of differentiation uh, differentiation again uh, between the Magic City guys here. I've got Colombia first, but I do have Poland coming in second. I think uh, Robert Lewandowski or Golandowski is going to find a way to right the wrongs of his international career before. I think he's out for a redemption story, much like Lionel Messi. And I, and I think that he will allow Poland to qualify out of this group. If they do get out of this group in the second spot, that means that there will be a match against Belgium in the knockout stage, which we will talk about later after all the teams have qualified. That match, you know, arguably could be not close at all unless Robert Lewandowski pulls out an impressive performance like we've seen him be able to do for Bayern Munich. So... You know, his redemption story may just be through the group stage. However, there is that outside chance where he can pull off something incredibly impressive and go from there. Look, there's always one surprise in in a World Cup. Uh, there's always some team, some storyline, some player that you didn't see having the impact they did. Um, again, falling out of the sky. And, and yeah, I mean, if anyone's got the talent to make that happen, it's Lewandowski. So I, I would not be surprised. Um so we got through these eight groups. We're very excited for tomorrow uh, to kick off, actually get some real-life, meaningful national soccer going off. Um, we encourage you, again, find a spot. Go watch it with some people if you can. Uh, the kickoffs are going to be early, obviously, because they're in Russia. Most notably, 8 a.m., 11 a.m., and 2 p.m. on most match dates. The first Saturday, which is this Saturday, there will be four matches going on. I believe the earliest match kicking off something as as of 6 a.m., and then you've got a 9 a.m., a 12 p.m., and a 3 p.m. match, if I'm not mistaken. But the World Cup does get underway Thursday. So if you're listening on Wednesday, it'll be tomorrow. If you're listening on Thursday, it's today. If you're listening Friday, it's you missed the passed. bus. You missed the bus. <laughs> Go chase the bus. No, uh, the first match will be at 11 a.m. between Russia and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. 
get out to a local establishment, go go to a local watering hole, grab a beer. This only happens once in every four years. Call out sick. Have a long week. Enjoy. <laughs> We're going to try to include on our website, uh, magiccity.soccer, uh, a running list of special events and specials that restaurants are running during the World Cup. I, I know that every other local media outlet is doing something similar, so you can go there too, but, but try to stop by our site and we'll... We'll obviously update you on what some of the local supporters groups are doing, what the, the Day Brigade is doing, um, as well as you know good specials that restaurants and and other places where you would watch soccer, uh, what specials they have going on. As Omar said, uh, first kickoff, Russia, Saudi Arabia in Moscow, uh, followed later, uh, or no, that's the only game on Thursday. Friday is the, you got three games going on, Egypt, Uruguay first, Morocco, Iran second, and Portugal, Spain uh, third as we conclude Group A and Group B. Um, so, Omar, as far as I'm concerned, that's all we got, pal. That's all we've got. So what we're going to do is we're going to get Abel Yerola, who's coming back to the States. He's stateside, Welcome baby. Our back. European correspondent is coming home to the Magic City. We will have him on the upcoming pods to recap some of the World Cup action. We probably won't be recapping game by game because that'd be crazy yeah. alongside all of the MPSL coverage and the PDL coverage that we'll be providing to you on MagicCity.Soccer. But we will have podcasts continuing throughout the World Cup in this next month of crazy soccer action. Make sure to come back and stay tuned. Get your analysis. Leave your comments. Leave your thoughts. We want to hear from you. We want to to be the voice of the city with regards to soccer. So let us know what you think. If you agree with us, fantastic. If you don't, you're wrong. No other problem. <laughs> so, yeah, be sure to, to, you know, as always, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you know when our next episode drops, which will be next week, uh, talking about uh, Miami FC, Miami United, and how the Sunshine Conference is progressing. Um Obviously, our group stage recap and our knockout stage preview will be after the group stage is done. Um, yeah, there's just a lot going on. Obviously, coverage of the United 2026 bid and Miami's role in that can be found on magiccity.soccer. Uh, we'll have a fuller recap of what it means for Miami uh, later today, so probably by the time you're listening to us, just go to the website and check it out. Uh, we also have a Miami Summer Break, Soccer Summer Break 2018. Uh, we got a rolling lineup of all the soccer figures uh, visiting the city of Miami over the summer. Kareem Benzema spotted at Edge uh, Steak and Bar in Brickle uh, last night. He shared on Twitter. So we have kind of, a, a again, a running look at who's in town because there are always a great number of people visiting uh, our fine city uh, during the summer break. So I, I think it's time to call it. Huh? I think it's time to call it. Let's, let's give it a rest. So he's been Omar Bubayed. I've been Matthew Bunch, and this has been Magic City Soccer. Be sure to tune in to us next time, and until then, go Miami Soccer, go World Cup Soccer, and, and go get a beer and watch the games. How about that? <laughs>